0: All right. Good morning, Transit family. Feel free to make your way onto your seats. Everyone having a good time this morning? Woo-hoo! Good, good. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7, 21 through 23, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're rounding the bend, actually, on the Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, today will be the second to last message um, on that, and it's been a good run. Uh, it's really challenged and I think brought a lot of fruit to our congregation, I know, to my my life as well. And then after that, we're going to be diving into the book of Nehemiah. So I'm really excited uh, to be transitioning into that after the Sermon on the Mount. But our text today is a famous passage because it's one of the most challenging and difficult texts uh, to kind of rightly interpret. And it's the famous passage where Jesus says, Not everyone on that day of final judgment, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. And before we jump into reading this text and and, uh, diving into the sermon, I think if we're not careful, we can kind of fall into one or two responses when we hear hear that verse, when we hear that refrain. Uh, Because we can immediately jump into the first response uh, would be the hyper-scared response, where we're we're going, wait a second, I've given my life to Jesus. I've professed his lordship over my life. I've been walking with him for a long time. Should I start doubting my salvation? Are there more things I need to do? Uh, could I out the grace of God now? And kind of like Steve, Pastor Steve Reed was sharing last week, I love that illustration he shared about adoption. Does God unadopt you when, you're, uh, when your stats aren't up to his you know, his standards. Is that how that works? No, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. Once adopted, once a child, always a child. So that could be one response. I don't think Christ wants for us today to be hyper scared. But the other response is hyper, I don't care. And this is kind of the hyper grace movement, if you will, where basically I know I'm saved by grace alone. So therefore I honestly don't care what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount because I'm a forgiven sinner. So works doesn't matter. What I do does not matter at all because at the end of the day, I'm saved by grace and uh, there's no need for me to continually take my heart to Jesus and repent because hey, I gotta get out of hell free card thanks to the, the blood of Jesus and so now I can just live how I want and, and if you read the scriptures and going through the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount screams, Jesus is shouting to his followers, what we do matters immensely and what we do matters immensely for eternity. As well. So uh, I don't want us to fall into either of those traps. I think what Jesus would be inviting us into before we dive into this text, instead of being hyper scared or hyper I don't care, would just be humbly aware. Humbly aware of, of, of two things. One, I would say we, we are convinced of this. I am convinced of this in my own life that I am a sheep who belongs to the good shepherd. Right? John 10. 27 through 28. This is what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and watch this, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So that's our hope. Our hope doesn't rest in how firmly I'm clinging to Jesus. My hope rests in how firmly my entire life he's been clinging on to me that's where our hope lies in our salvation. So I'm humbly aware of that. I'm convinced of that, but I'm also humbly aware that yes, I am a sheep who belongs to the shepherd and sheep are prone to wander. And I am no exception. And I am no exception. And we can wander to things that can bring devastating consequences to ourselves, to our walk with Lord, to his reputation, to his church, to our families, that we are sheep who are prone to to wander. Yes, we have a good shepherd and no one can snatch us out of of his hands, but also we have not arrived. We are still beset with internal sin that the scriptures encourage us by the spirit to put to death. And also in the same context of John 10, we have an adversary, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to be humbly aware of our weaknesses. So what that means then, the invitation is this, is let's adopt this attitude before we get into the word and just posture our hearts. This is Psalm 139. I love uh, praying this prayer before we dive in, and it's, in, it's simply this Search me, O God, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting conviction. Of the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift He can give you because it's like when your GPS screams, You're going the wrong way, let me show you the right way. You're headed towards a cliff. And the Holy Spirit is saying, turn around and lead me to the way of everlasting. So let's read Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and then posture our hearts to receive what God has for us this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are weighty words, Lord Jesus, today. But you speak what is true, and you speak that truth in love to us. And Lord, I pray that today would be the salvation for some in this room today. I pray that uh, today would be the day of repentance, for some today, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and call lost sinners home, call wandering sheep back to your open, nail-scarred arms, back to the narrow path where we've been tempted to go on the easy path, Lord Jesus. So we open up our hearts and we say, search us. Every room, we give you access, Jesus, every room of our hearts. We don't lock and padlock any area we say you cannot enter, no, Lord, we say we hear our hearts, Lord, search us this morning. And Lord, I'm a man in desperate need of help this morning. Who am I to to preach on behalf of your word, Jesus? And so would everything that comes from me and is birthed from me be forgotten, and would you use me just as your vessel to proclaim your love and your truth this morning from your word for the glory of your name, Jesus, and not my own. And we lay our lives at your feet, Lord Jesus, because you lay down your life for us so that we could have this free gift of salvation and eternal fellowship with you. So come have your way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of my message is this, What Jesus Prioritizes. What Jesus Prioritizes. Uh, life, if you will, is kind of an open canvas of choices. For example, you decided you made the choice to come here this morning to the transit, but you had a million other choices that you could have made. And you're like, I'm well aware of that, Nick. I could be sleeping right now. Uh, I could be fishing. I could be, you know, uh, I could be mowing my lawn. You could be doing anything, but you choose to come here. And, and with the kind of open canvas of all these choices, uh, finding and figuring out what your priorities are is how you choose where and what you do and what you say, right? And so you, you really figure this out when you get a new job and you get a new boss, Okay, and immediately one of the ways it's really going to work in your favor is when you figure out from your direct report or, you know, your higher-ups is, is what do they want me to do? What do they want me to prioritize? And so when I came on staff as a pastoral intern, Jeff Tumor is a great leader, and he, he clearly communicated pretty often like, what he wanted me to prioritize to the extent that as an intern, when I was spending my time doing a lot of things, he's like, hey, 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 don't do that, do this. Or, or do less of that and do more of this. And so today, as followers of Jesus gathering to worship him and adjust our priorities to his priorities, what we're going to see today in our text are three priorities that Jesus gives to his followers. And when we see Jesus give us these massive heads up of what he prioritizes and what he wants for those that follow him, then we have the blessed opportunity to readjust our priorities to his priorities which is, which is what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. is hey, I have some priorities. And Jesus goes, those are my priorities. And we bend our knee and we say, your will be done. That's how lordship gets manifested. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a battle of priorities. It's a battle of wills, a battle of choices. And so Jesus is crystal clear today on what he prioritizes. And he's thankfully on that day. Here's the audacity before we jump in uh, to my three points here is Jesus in the first century is speaking to thousands of his followers in the, the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this is somewhat early on in his, his ministry. And he has the audacity to say, all of you on the day of your death will, will answer to me as the judge of the earth, as your creator and your Lord and your righteous judge, this man from, this carpenter from Nazareth is telling his followers, all of you on that day will answer to me. Will answer to me. And so, what I want to say, this was not in my notes, but as I was reading through this, I felt I needed to to bring this home, is there is a day coming for all of us, transit family. Jesus makes it crystal clear. He says, on that day, on that day, that there is a day coming when we will stand before the judge judge of the earth. And and, and living in light of that, yes, as believers, we plead the blood of Jesus over our lives. and, And the beautiful thing, if you see Matthew 25, it's Jesus who speaks on our behalf on that day. And what we see in Matthew 7 is those who aren't saved, they speak on their behalf on the day of final judgment. But if you look at Matthew 25, the great judge is speaking on their behalf and saying, these ones belong to me. I've been interceding for them their entire lives. They belong to me. Let me speak on their behalf. And so I just, wanna, I just wanna land that plane home is that um, on that day for followers of Jesus, we will uh, give an account to how we stewarded the grace, the time, the talents, uh, the resources that he's given us for his will and his purposes. We will give an account to that. We will be saved, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus makes clear in a mysterious way that there are um, rewards, eternal rewards in heaven. And for those of you that are here today and, and do not know Jesus, that day is still coming for you as well, whether you believe that or not. And so my encouragement, if you're here today or on the live stream and you've never trusted in Jesus, uh, the beautiful news of the gospel is a God who so loves you and wants to bring you home to himself. He's a holy, he's a righteous God, but your sins, your, your, your turning from him causes this separation that he paid on behalf of the blood of his son poured out on the cross so that if you look to Jesus and give your life to Jesus and instead of turning from God, you turn back to God just as you are and receive his grace that you will receive eternal life. But what I'm saying is that day, no matter what you believe about that day, is coming for all of us. It's on on our calendar. We don't know when, but that day is coming and we adjust our lives in light of that day, okay? Just wanted to say that before we jump in. Um, And so what we're looking at today is what Jesus prioritized. And the first thing we see in our text is that Jesus prioritizes simple obedience over simple, superficial Christian linguistics. It's amazing when you write a point, you can't even say it. Jesus prioritizes simple obedience over superficial Christian linguistics. Clear contrast in our text in verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. There's a clear contrast Jesus is making between saying Jesus is Lord and actually living your life like he is Lord over your life. And so um, we're going to talk more at length about obedience next week because that's the main theme of the last sermon on the mount is obedience to Jesus and building uh, your life on the foundation of his precepts. Um, But the point that Jesus is making here to kind of jump ahead and not answer the million questions that you guys have about um, obedience and is it meritorious for our salvation, we're going to talk about that next week. And I talked about it, the first Sermon on the Mount uh, message as well. So you can go back and listen to that where I talk about more about that. But the point Jesus is making is this, is that evidence of being a true follower of Jesus, evidence that Jesus is truly Lord in your life is shown by how we live our lives. It's not how we live our lives makes Jesus our Lord. It's that that profession of faith receiving his grace ultimately leads to that new creation, which leads to new action, okay? So we first need to be born again, regenerated, and then the the Holy Spirit changes our desires, changes our thoughts, changes our actions. And the evidence of a new life will be new conduct, new actions. And so that's the point Jesus is making, is evidence that Jesus is truly Lord in your life is shown by how you live your life, how you do the will of Father, not how you talk about how you know his will. And there's a world of difference between lip service lordship to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, and actually just obeying what he says. And so, for example, um, I'm sure you've heard this illustration before, but it's so beautiful. As I, I think it's, it, it nails the point home, is I, I'm a parent with three kids, and my two oldest daughters share a room. And sometimes I think there's like toys you can get from Toys R Us that are like just like a bomb of toys that you like set a timer and it just explodes in your kid's room. And there's like toys, Legos, stuff on the ceiling, silly putty, you know, just stuff everywhere. And you go and you're like, "Hey, I'm going to give you an hour to clean up your room. Clean your room. The father's will clean your room." i come back in an hour. So I come back in an hour, and I kind of peek open the door, see what they're doing. And, and they made some coffee, brewed some coffee. They got their notebooks out. And my oldest daughter, this is a theoretical. It's not real. It doesn't really happen. Um, and my oldest daughter, Kelsey, say, hey, Steffi, you know, what's interesting is that um, the command in the, in the Greek, what clean means is in the imperative mood, which means, like, it implies, like, an oughtness. Like, we should clean and then like your is like a possessive pronoun implying like whatever and then room room is the present maybe season we're in right now like <laughs> so <laughs> so Steffi tell me tell me what do you think this means for your life wow this is a fascinating discussion cool let's pray and then go about our business and i'm saying i just said clean your room right why is it? it? Doesn't have to be this complicated. And somewhere along the line, um, we've 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 confused some things. We've we've confused studying the scriptures with obeying the scriptures, and we've kind of turned our Christian faith into a glorified book club, where we come here and we yeah we come here and I, I, I'm under I, dude I got I got more books than all of you combined in my life I'm a nerd dude I'm always like I'm always whoa. Anyone writes a book in 2022? That's it. Anyways, like I'm I'm reading, okay? So like this applies to me. I'm not like whatever. But like, like, woe to us, honestly, like in all humility, if our faith is just a glorified book club. On Sunday mornings, let's talk about this uh, in our community groups. Let's talk about this on our one-to-one coffee dates or whatever, discipleship meetings. Let's let's talk. Let's just talk about what this means and be really excited. I get really excited. when went to seminar, I get really excited about talking about stuff, as you can tell, because I talk really long and whatever. But what about? What about doing what he said? What about if there's a subtle shift of, yes, doctrine's critically important. Yes, we need to have right theology because right theology leads to right practice, so on and so forth. And we need to understand the revealed will of God. How do we understand what the Father's will is? We read the scriptures. This is God's, this, God's clear. This is his revealed will. It's not actually a mystery in your life. God's revealed his will. It's a sermon on the mount. It's, it's God's will for our lives. It's Christ's will for his, his followers. And so what would it look like if we stopped talking about what our theology of healing was and we already started praying for people who were sick to get healed? What if we stopped talking about what our missiological strategies were and we just, in in humility and prayer and dependency on the Holy Spirit, just started praying for God to help us share our faith with our neighbors and we started testifying to his goodness in our lives? What if uh, we started talking about, um, I don't know, like say marriage and we started loving our spouses the way Jesus loved the church? And I think the way this applies, and then I'm going to segue because we're going to talk really, we're going to talk big about this uh, next week because this is where Jesus concludes his sermon. Um, is what if in our community groups and our coffee appointments, let's not just share our thoughts on what Jesus is saying or share our thoughts on what the scriptures uh, are saying, but let's also pray for the empowerment and wisdom of the spirit to begin to know how to apply it. What is the Lord asking of you when, today, this morning? Let's just land it right now as we go here, we're going to talk about it at the end here, is, Lord, what do, you, what do you want? What's the next step? What are you inviting me into with this? If we leave here and say, hey, what do you think about the service? Ah, sermon fell flat. Uh, coffee was weak. Uh, you know, maybe those are just uh, my discussions with my wife after uh, hearing myself <laughs> preach. Uh, <laughs> um, isn't it... Uh, when Jesus on the road to Emmaus met with his disciples, their response was, did our hearts not burn within us? He was there. He, he, he led them on a Bible study, and there was something birthed in them saying, I'm tired of just talking. God, give me opportunities to be your hands and feet and your mouthpiece this week to people that are broken, discouraged, and need encouragement. What if those were the conversations we started to have? Hey, what's God doing? Where's God leading you? getting out of the book club and linking arms, being, hey, in love, let's advance the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, he says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And so Jesus, declaring Jesus as Lord, it's the last thing I'll say, and then we'll segue to my, my second point, is this. Is if we confess Jesus, not just as Lord, but as Lord, Lord, like, over my life, then that immediately means that I do not get to pick and choose which commands I obey and follow. If I confess the lordship of Jesus over my life, I cannot sashay into the scriptures and say, let me just see what I want to do. Nope, that one's too hard. I'm going to shelve that one. Like, too uncomfortable. Ah, not for today. No, no, if Jesus is Lord, somewhere along the line, we think that because because we have different theological camps, that we can just kind of use those theologies to get, a, get out of obedience free card, you know, to, to not obey Jesus and what, and what he's called us to do. Declaration of lordship is a forfeiting of all your rights. You are not your own, First Corinthians 6 says. You do not belong to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, when you declare Jesus as Lord, you are declaring that he's purchased you with his blood out of the clutches of hell, thank God, out of the clutches of the demonic into his nail-scarred arms, but now you belong to him he possesses you, he owns you, and you live for his glory, and that's where true life is found. That's actually where true life is found is when you lose your life for his sake. That's where true joy is found. That's what your heart is actually uh, searching for and hoping for and seeking is that savior to know and love and follow, that true God to live and lay down your life for. And so um, we see that Jesus prioritizes simple obedience to his clear commands over fluency in Christian we don't need to be more fluent in Christianese. We just need to be more simply obedient. Amen? Amen. All right. So second point, Jesus prioritizes sincere love over supernatural power. Jesus prioritizes sincere love over supernatural power. What's wild in this text, and man, I, well, one, I didn't know I was going to preach this sermon until about midweek, and someone else was going to preach, but then they got something that I had the week before. Anyways, um, <laughs> so is that in this text... Um, The scenario Jesus gives on the last day. Man, you have the Kobe and the LeBron James of Christianity standing before Jesus on that day. I mean, come on. Jesus is intentional. Jesus could have said anything. Jesus chose to say this. And so these Christian elite, they think they're the Christian varsity squad. They pull out their basketball card. With, the, you know, that, 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 that half-court shot or them casting out a demon, and they flip it over to the back and they show Jesus their stats. And they're like, hey, Jesus, we know like the 2020, 2021 season was a little rough, a little shaky. Our stats were kind of hard there. But look at all these, look at what we've done. We've cast out, look at what they, look at their resume. We've cast out many demons. We've pros- prophesied in your name. And uh, we've done mighty works. In your name, in your name, in your name, welcome us into your kingdom. We've, we've done earned it. Um, that's the impression we get is these are kind of the I don't know, the greatest of all time, the goats of Christianity. Like, man, like, yeah, like you look at that and you're like, yeah, that's a follower of Jesus. And the impression we get that Jesus on that day and the scenario he gives, in the face of the empirical evidence that these aren't just his followers, but they're like the SEAL team six special forces Christians. Impression we get, Jesus says, that doesn't impress me. It's not what I'm after. Doesn't impress me. And, and and more than that, I actually don't have any idea who you are. Now that's a danger right there. We talk more about that in a little bit, that we can miss Christ in ministry. That we can actually miss him. We can think we can think that we're, you know, doing kingdom advancement working Jesus is like, no, actually that's that's not of me. So the question arises that I've been wrestling with. I'm going, Jesus, how is it not the will of the Father? You said in verse 21, those who do the will of the Father. How is it not the will of the Father to work mighty miracles in your name? How is that not the will of the Father? I mean, just go read the Gospels. Go read the Gospel of Matthew after Matthew 7, and Jesus commands his followers to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and proclaim the kingdom. And then we see the, uh, the early church in Acts do that, and early church anyways. The first thing we need to realize is the immediate context of our text. Two weeks ago, I spoke uh, on the context, uh, the, 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 the text leading up to where we're at today, and Jesus in that text warned about the danger of false prophets. And two times, he said, you will, you will know false prophets by their fruits. You'll recognize them by their fruits. And in light of that context, what Jesus, I think, is making crystal clear to his followers is that supernatural power is not evidence of true faith in Jesus Christ. So that often if false prophets, prophets are in disguise and they're using their gifting and their influence to lead people astray, one of the primary ways the people of God will be led astray is they say, well, I can't deny how, how accurate that prophetic word was. I can't deny that that person actually got healed. And Jesus is saying, that's not the mark that you're looking for. That's what Jesus is saying. So in the context of false prophecy and false prophets, Jesus is saying saying this, it's not just the kingdom of God that operates in supernatural power. There's another kingdom and this is, I mean, don't take my words for it, Mark 12, 12 13, 22. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And Second Thessalonians 2, 9 says this, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So, I mean, I hate to break it to you, church. We have a supernatural worldview, okay? We're not naturalists, okay? So, like, there is an unseen realm out there that, that influences this, what happens in the seen realm. We believe that as followers of Jesus, right? We believe that God, the Holy Spirit, the immaterial transcendent spirit of the living God is present inside of us and among us right now in this very moment. Like, praise God. Like, we, we, we have a supernatural worldview. So what I just said should not shock us but we also need to not just understand that God's spirit is among us, but there's also a lot of demonic spirits that are out there wreaking havoc. One of the reasons the world is on fire right now is because of the demonic unseen realm killing, stealing, and destroying um, God's uh, creation, that he created good and sin came and, and with it uh, hell uh, and, and, and the hell that we're presently living in in regards to everything that the curse of sin has brought on this creation. And so all that to say is this is the second follow-up question is that should we then as followers, is what Jesus is saying in this text today, is he saying that we shouldn't seek prophecy? Should we not pray for healing? Should we not expect God to work mighty wonders in our midst? Like, is this a proof text for cessationism? If you don't know what cessationism is, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but they believe that essentially that the gifts of the spirit that were operative in the early church have ceased with the closing of the canon of scripture. And they don't say this, but they would say that, um, that God is muzzled and he is handcuffed, but the devil isn't. So the devil can still perform signs and wonders, but God can't because he's chosen to, this is a text I had to read in seminary. God has chosen, has chosen to sovereignly box himself in to no longer speak outside of his word but Satan can prophesy, and Satan can heal, and Satan can deliver, or whatever, uh, but God can. And so it begs the question, should we as followers of Jesus then completely shelve the power of the Spirit to advance the kingdom? Does this mean no more prayers for healing, deliverance, prophecy? And the answer is not at all. In order to be obedient to scripture, we need to do these things. In order, it's scriptures that encourage us to do these things. And, and again, uh, Luke 10, let me just prove this through scripture. Luke 10, jesus commissions not just the 12 apostles jesus commissions 72 no-name followers to go heal the sick cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom and this is what happens the 72 returned with joy and said lord even the demons submit to us in your name and jesus replied wait what'd you do wait you guys cast demons out of people i never told you to do that y'all a bunch of false prophets do you know what this is going to do to my to my public image Okay, get, depart from me, I never need That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says something awesome. I love what he says. He goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's one of the baddest statements of Jesus in all of scripture. And that's our hope is Satan's uh, fall like lightning from heaven. And Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, talking about de- uh, demons, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm, harm you. But then watch this. Jesus is giving him an attaboy, and he's like, man, let me, me one-up you. I saw, you you got demons subject to your name. I saw Satan fall like, like, like lightning from heaven. And then uh, verse 20, he says, however, be careful that your joy is not rooted in supernatural encounters, but it is rooted in your salvation and that you know the living God. Be careful. He says, however, do not rejoice. Don't let the source of your joy be that demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven and so the crux of the issue is, uh, of the question of how do we reconcile these things of being a church where we believe in uh, the continuation of the gifts of the spirit we believe that the god of the bible is the same god today and he's still working miracles among us which he actually is there's testimony just go start talking to people the lord's doing some awesome things in our church for glory of his name um And um, how do we reconcile these things of, well, should we do this? Should we not do this? And the crux of the issue that Jesus is getting at is motivation. Because what we learn in our text today in the text I shared is that signs and wonders, supernatural power can be performed for satanic and selfish agendas, pointing people away from the heart of Jesus, not towards him. And so what we see learning from Jesus is the primary motivation for Jesus' healing in the gospels was compassion for people. Jesus in the Gospels was not chasing after power. He was not chasing after supernatural encounters. What was who was Jesus chasing after? He was chasing after the lost and the broken and the handicapped and the the weary, the 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 the, the, the sinner. Like he was a friend. So Jesus was chasing after people, not powerful encounters. And it was his compassion that led him to lean in with the power of the Spirit to come in and say, "Enough is enough. No longer are you no. I'm, I'm pushing back the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of God is breaking in." And walk, you're no longer crippled. Or hey, this demon that's tormenting you, I'm going to uh, uh, the finger of God's going to be on you, and I'm going to f- thrust out this emissary, of, if you will, of the kingdom of darkness, and enact my kingdom. Jesus chased after people; he pursued others in love, and that love led him to prophesy and to heal and to deliver. First Corinthians 13:1 through three says this. You all know this, and this is in the context of the Corinthian church operating in supernatural power having a Holy Ghost Palooza, everybody's speaking in tongues and prophesying. And this is what the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What Paul's saying and what Jesus is saying in our text is listen, you can do all these things but if they're not done and they're not birthed out of sincere compassion for other people it's completely meaningless and it actually doesn't count. Jesus said, "I don't that doesn't that's actually not what I'm after. I want to know where your heart's at and are you genuinely caring for people? Because the greatest commandment is love God and love others. 1 Corinthians 14:1 on the heels of 1 Corinthians 13. So therefore this is what we pursue as followers of Jesus. We pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So this is an a, a, a apostolic command written to the church at Corinth to, yes, pursue love and pursue the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. prophecy. Okay? And so um, what I'm saying is this, and then we'll segue to our third point, is it's not either or. It's not either love or power. It's both and for the Christian. It's both and. But... One comes before, and one comes during, and one comes after the other. And it's a love. So, so what I'm getting at is this, is before you begin to, you know, when we say earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, trust me, they're God's gifts. This was God's idea. The Father's gifts to give to his body, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, to build up the church. It's God's idea. When we say tongues, crazy Pentecostals in the Midwest didn't come up with that. God the Father came up with that. Okay, prophecy, that was God's idea. And it was, it, it was prevalent in the early church after the, after the ascension of Jesus. In First Corinthians, we're after the Sermon on the Mount. And so those tools were necessary to build up and strengthen the church and they're still needed today. And I could share story after story after story of how my life has been uh, healed through, through getting set free from demonic oppression or encouraged and strengthened by people giving me a prophetic word. So, yeah, I feel like the, And it's spot on. I mean, my jaw on the floor, it coming to fruition a couple weeks after that word was given. And it was me becoming the lead pastor of this church. And there's Abby Workman who gave the word. And it was spot on. I had no idea what was coming. And then two weeks later, that she, it was crazy. The Holy Spirit threw her, called, called what was gonna happen. And so what I, I'm gonna uh, uh, encourage us with that is this, this application before we, we conclude with this last point. Before you begin to ask God for more spiritual gifts, before you begin to get a hunger for healing to come, for the gifts to come, all that before that happens, ask God to break your heart for the lost. Ask God to 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 melt you in a pool of tears for the broken and the afflicted. Ask God to instill sincere, genuine love and compassion for others. Ask him, beat the pavement in your prayer closet with that prayer. And often we have to do it because it's not there. So before you ever ask for a gift, ask for help me pursue love, God. Help me to see that healing, choosing, is not, is not an issue of preference for me, but it's an issue of suffering that people are enduring. Why does Jesus heal people uh, with stage four cancer? Because he has compassion for them. Stage four cancer is awful. And, it's not our, our, and, we, can, and we can weaponize theology so we don't have to live a, a, a life of risky faith and maybe disappointment rather than saying, no, this is an issue of compassion for you and God. You'll be healed on this side or healed on the other side. It's always God's will to heal the believer. It's just a matter of timing because glory's coming and we're all groaning awaiting that glorification. Okay, but that is what we need to ask God for. And that's what, you know, in my apathy, and my lukewarmness, I'm, God, give me compassion. Give me love. Help me to, to love the lost. Help me to see the broken, the afflicted, the demonized, the way you see them, and then give me what I need to minister your healing to their life, however that comes about. That's what we want to be about as a community of love, a people of love, and that's what Jesus is after and uh, that's evident. That's the greatest command. The greatest commandment frames everything in the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest commandment frames everything in our life, especially us wanting to prophesy, especially us wanting to see the kingdom come in power. It's exciting. It's amazing. Um, We want to do that because people's lives are transformed by it, but if it's not done in love, what Jesus makes crystal clear and the scriptures make crystal clear, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. So we chase love, and because we chase love and people's goods, we want God to use us to powerfully minister his healing and grace in a supernatural way to their lives. Because, my, because uh, you, some of you know my testimony. That's how my life was changed in October 2019, When people were conduits of the power of the Holy Spirit in love, changed my life, which changed my marriage, which changed my family, which changed other families, which changed everything in my life, was a powerful supernatural encounter with the Lord that was done in love and changed my life, okay? And so that's what we want it to be be framed in. So I'll conclude with this. I'll call up the band. Band, you can come forward. Um, Lastly, what we see is Jesus prioritizes mutual affection over ministry achievements. Jesus prioritizes mutual affection over ministry achievements. Verse 22 to 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And there's a key line here that I just want to Conclude in and and wrap this all up in is what's fascinating what Jesus says at the end here is he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Jesus doesn't even tip his hat to their ministry achievements, all that they accomplished in his name. He says essentially, "I, I see what your hands have done, but I don't know a thing about your heart, about you. And what's fascinating in our text is Jesus doesn't say, you never knew me. I never knew you. I never knew you, and we all know this to be true about relationships with other people, is that people can only know you to the extent that you allow them into your life. People can only know you to the extent that you're willing to open yourself up to friendship and to their fellowship in your life. And so for exhibit A, like I think our, our house is a, is a great example of this. Wherever you live, um, depending on who knocks on your door, depending on the level of trust and friendship that you have with them, it determines the access they have to your house. So some, some guy is knocking on your door trying to sell you a bunch of Cutco knives and you're like, dude, uh, no, thank you. I already have like, you know, I bought like a bunch of, them. anyways, I didn't, but anyways, the Cutco knives, like, you don't need any Cutco knives. God bless you. Go in peace. You say, you stay outside. Or friends come up for community group, and you've been cleaning your house for, like, five hours. Your kids got Windex everywhere. You're mopping the floors, and you're trying to let everyone know that your house is always as clean. Community group comes over, oh, come to the living room, the kitchen. This is, I mean, look out. It's all clean, all this stuff. Um, just don't open that door over there where we put all this stuff, right? So we have a different level there. Not everyone's having all access. But what, what happens when a trusted friend comes over or a family member? You open the door and say, hey, my house is is your house. You can, you can go wherever. You can go in the attic and see all of our, you know, stuff up there, or, you know, the whatever. Like, ignore that uh, poopy diaper on the floor. We'll get to that in a little bit. You know, you can just give them full access to your heart so they truly know you, not just the facade you place for, but truly know you. And why, why do you give those people Access like that because you trust them not to reject you upon what they see. That's why you open up your house. So there's a few people that you will allow into your your house to see the deepest, darkest, messiest rooms in your house because you trust them that they will not reject you when you open up your heart to them. And where I want to conclude this message is I think that some of us um, maybe have had our hearts hardened to Jesus because there's some things that are really dark. And there are some things that are really hard to bear. And uh, we don't know if we can trust anyone again to open up our hearts to come and to be invited into those painful moments or those secret sins. And um, I think it's our shame of rejection and our insecurity that would drive us to achieve and to perform and to kind of outrun our shame so that at the end of our lives we can say yes, I knew deep down that uh, I was a sinner, but the way I atoned for my sins was I worked and I worked and I worked. Look at all that I've done. I've outperformed and I've outrun the darkness. And what if the solution to our pain, what if the solution to our sin is not what we do, but it's who we know, or better yet, who knows our hearts? So obviously God is omniscient. He knows everything about us. And yet God God has also given us the gift of choice, He's given us the gift of a will. And true true lordship over our lives manifests in how we lay down the gift of our choice, our will, to choose his will over ours. And what do we learn about Jesus' will for your life in our text today? What is Jesus' will for your life? His will for your life is for him to know you and for you to know him, to be invited in to all the spaces of your house that you don't want him to see because that's the very work he came to do. He can't do his best work if he's uh, in the foyer, if he's outside the front door. He can't do his best work there. and That's his will for your life. Don't give me the scorecard, just give me your heart. And once I fully get all access to your heart, I'll get your hands, I'll get your life, but give me your heart. And I wanna, I wanna um, conclude with, with these words from Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland about the heart of, jesus and this is what he says and it'll be a little long so just lean in listen i know when people read for a while you can kind of tune out but please listen to these words twice in the gospels we are told that jesus broke down and wept and in either case is it sorrow for himself or his own pains in both cases it is sorrow over another in one case jerusalem and in the other his deceased friend lazarus what was his deepest anguish it was the anguish of others What drew his heart out to the point of tears? It was the tears of others. Time and again, it is the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates towards. Time and again, it is the morally disgusting, socially reviled, the inexcusable, and undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most most naturally gravitates. If that resonates with you today, coming here today and feeling morally disgusted or undeserving of grace, you need to understand that Jesus is at the door of your heart. He's drawn near. He's gravitated towards you, saying, let me in, let the healer in, let the great physician in. You can trust him because of the nail-scarred hands and the nail-scarred feet. You can trust him with his love and his posture for you. And then Dane Orland says this in verse 36, 37, then we'll segue into praying here. A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. But finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care, being freely provided. And what does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came, was to help the sick. How much more if the diseased are not strangers, but his own family, his own sons, his own daughters, his own brothers, sisters. So with us, and so with Christ, he does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and he plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. And so the good news for us today, if you are here today and you are in need of fresh mercy and fresh grace, there's someone you can run to and invite into your heart and receive that healing. So let's do that now. He's here, he's present. It's the very reason he came and I'm begging you with everything I have don't shut him out. If this resonates with you in the Holy Spirit, has got a finger on a sin in your life. He's saying, hand it over. Enough's enough. Don't shut him out. Open up the curtains. Let the light of the world come in and set aside the darkness and bring healing. Today, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day of repentance. So let's pray. Let's pray. Who is like you, oh God? Who is like you? Every other God demands, every other God that, we, that we're tempted to bow down and worship demands that, hey, you clean yourself up before you come to me. And yet you, you open up your arms and you cried out to the sinner on the cross. You said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the God we worship, that's his love for you. Receive that bride of Christ. Oh, precious bride of Christ, receive that love. Come, Holy Spirit, minister the love of Jesus to heart and hearts today. Open up your hearts to Him. Why would you hold back? He's the King of glory. He's shown His love for you. Everything laid at His feet. It's in better hands when it's in His hands. I am begging some of you. I'm begging some of you. Give it over. Let it stop today. Repent. Let it end today. Give it into his hands. He died to set you free from bondage and slavery, and you don't think he wants to hear from you again? He gave his life. He says, I want your heart. I gave my life. I died. I absorbed the wrath of God just so I could get your heart. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. Don't hide it from me. Don't hide it from me. Let me have it. Oh, Just see what the Lord can do with your heart. If you let him out, it's like going to the dentist and keep your mouth shut. you got to open him up. It's painful. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. But you got to bring it to light. And the great physician comes in, and with the sweet violence of the Holy Spirit, he begins to to bind us up again, cuts us open to bind us up again. So come, Holy Spirit. This message resonated with just one person today and they've been living a life without hope, without God in the world. Holy Spirit, I just pray that they would hear your crystal clear invitation, that they would see that you are a God of love, and that where true safety, true eternal security is found, is by confessing your lordship over their lives and receiving the free gift of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. So would those transactions happen today? Would those decisions happen today? Holy Spirit, would you do that, oh Lord? Amen. You know, I I don't want to apologize for getting uh, zealous up here, but uh, when it's all real, it changes the urgency of what we do. Um, And I I you know, I'm, I'm. It's not what the, the experts and the professors tell you to do is what I'm doing here, but I just want to say, like, it's all real. He's real, um, and he's inviting us into something far greater than the sin we're hiding or clinging to. Um, and so we can come to church and hear good sermons, but what we really need to be after is our hearts yielded to Jesus. And inviting him in because that's where true life is found and sometimes we can um, like me like 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 I, I've been in my own life we can kind of just go through the motions and be like is this really it? Is this really all there is to the Christian life if this is it then I don't want in but what happens when you discover that God is really present and he really does change lives um, and he really does set the captive free and there really is fullness of joy in his presence there actually really is fullness of joy in living in righteousness and consecration unto him and so um, I, I really just want to encourage you if that message resonated with you all please come and talk to me after the service um i'm here to not give a good sermon i'm here to point you to jesus and um, i really uh, am hopeful for uh, conversations that you guys can approach me with or come to the forward for prayer of saying hey this is a fear i'm wrestling with this is a sin i need to confess and so on and so forth or or just simply come forward and say hey i i just want to experience more of god and i feel like i've been lukewarm in my walk with him and so after the service there'll be a team on my both my both my right and your left, to, to pray with you. But let's go to the Lord's table. Let's go to the Lord's table uh, and celebrate communion together. If you need communion elements, there's some in the hallway there. Um, grab those. And the scriptures encourage us to um, to kind of examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11 would teach us to examine our hearts before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And um, so I'd invite you to start praying now and uh, talk to Jesus. And say, Holy Spirit, is, is there anything we need to talk about? Is there anything, uh, any hardness, any, any um, uh, unwillingness to surrender in my life, any line I've drawn in the sand where I'm saying you can't come any further? So do that now and uh, get your heart right before the Lord uh, as I explain what these elements symbolize. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a final supper meal with his disciples and he took bread and he, and he broke it. Um, And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he said, drink this wine. This represents my blood, which will be shed uh, for your sins. And he said, as often as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're coming here today to celebrate the work of Christ on our behalf, that it's not our works, it's not us cleaning ourselves up, that this is our salvation, our forgiveness purchased for us. This is a free gift of Christ on our behalf that was born out of love for us. This is... um, This is the heart of Jesus on display. This is the heart of Jesus on display for us, literally his heart given to us. And in communion, for followers of Jesus, when we take communion, we're saying, now Jesus, you have my heart as well. Thank you for laying down your heart, and now I give you my heart, and I partake of your blood and your body, my sin. So this is the body of Christ broken for you. and the blood of Jesus shed for your sins and mine. Let's sing one last song to our king of love and our king of grace, and then I'll conclude with the final benediction.